all for one or one for all, something like that. Let's have a look at how the various pieces of the Mishkan come together. Is it all just to give value to the Mishkan or do they have value in themselves? Rebbe says we've discussed numerous times with regards to the names of parishes that the nature is that whatever the main theme of the parasha is is represented by the name given to that parasha and that must apply to our parasha as well as that the name Vayakil represents the primary theme of the first of the two parashas whereas the name Pekude captures the essence of what the second parasha is all about although they actually don't seem to work that way in fact they seem to represent the opposite of their themes. It's going to appear to us that actually the theme and message content of the parishes doesn't match their names. And in fact, not only do they not fit, as we're about to explore, they actually seem to be the exact opposite. The name is the exact opposite of the theme and content. So what do we mean by that? Well, let's first understand the name Vayakel. The Pirush from Vayakel Kipshuto is, the simplest understanding of Vayakel is, the Asifa Vekibutz from Kama Vecham Yechidim Adepratim. Vayakel means to congregate a whole lot of disparate individuals or things that come together into a communal space. And what distinguishes the word compared to other words that seem to say the same thing, bringing detail or individuals together into a group. V, for example, Asifa, Kibbutz, Lekita, Vechadoime, which are all words that imply gathering. It's because any of those words, Asifa, Kibbutz, Lekita, only talk about the action of bringing together. Whereas, like for example, assembling a whole lot of people in a particular place, or a whole lot of concepts into a similar idea. But in any of those words, even after you've gathered all of those things, could well be that all of the things you've assembled into the same place or into the same objective actually retain their independent identity. So kibbutz, bring a whole lot of people together, liquid, a whole lot of branch, uh, pieces of, of, of uh, wheat, for example, etc. You bring them together, but they all still retain a personal identity. Whereas Vayakal means Gemachtakol. You take a whole lot of individuals and out of them you create a community. That means That emphasizes not just simply the matter of a whole lot of individual elements that come together in the same place or to share the same objective. It's not just gathering a whole lot of separate things. Nor Except what's going to happen now is you now have a community. Prior, you had a whole group of individuals. Now you have a community. That's the implication of Vayakel. That means the entire status of the group has changed fundamentally. So Vayakel has a unique meaning of bringing individual elements together to become a new communal entity. By contrast, Bukudai, Vaspirushism is trained minion, Bukudai represents counting. That highlights the fact that everything remains distinct from each other. Because that's how you can count things when they stand independently of each other. You can't count a community because a community is an holistic reality. 
so Vayakel is taking individual things and turning them into a communal entity. And Pekude is about keeping their identity by uh, numbering them all individually. If that's the case, it doesn't make sense. The theme and content of the two parishes seems to contradict their names. Because Beide Parshas read in Asis Hamishkan Vahakelim, as we well know, Vayakelim Pekude speak about putting together the Mishkan and all the components that were required in order to do that. But there's a fundamental difference between the two parishes. Because Parshas Vayakel read Vegan Asia from Kolchelke Protein Yone Hamishkan, Vayakel tells us how they put together all the different components in order to produce a Mishkan. And that means the areas the covers were one element, the walls and the, and the panels of the walls were a different element. And then all the different pieces of so-called furniture that went inside the Mishkan for, for use in the Mishkan, like the menorah, the, Mishka, the, menorah uh, the, the Shulchan, etc., that were all separate. So that emphasizes the fact that they are separate things, right? The Chiddush from Parshas Pekudah ben Gea Melechas HaMishkon, whereas Parshas Pekudah, when it talks about working in the Mishkon, Noch de Agdoma de Sachakel von Zohar Veches Menachoshes, after it first, Pekudah first gives us an introduction, which is an audit of all the materials that were collected in order to make the Mishkon. Kum tal samayim mer hamusko siim hamasupov in Parshas Vayakil. And then you have kind of a parenthetical reference to the last nuts and bolts of putting together the Mishkan, the and the last details about making the uniforms of the Kehanim. But then the primary thing that Parashas Pekudeh talks about is the fact that everything was now, so to speak, con- co- uh, complete. And therefore, everything, everything was then brought to Moshe and then Moshe was given the instruction to put all of those things together to form the Mishkan the Mishkan and all of its elements plus we're going to learn about all of the avoidance that had to happen and that's all mentioned in like a broad sense of and the fact that Moshe then did it in other words he put the Mishkan up and then he worked initially in the Mishkan to, to do the first Avoidus. With a result which is now there's a complete holistic communal entity called the Mishkan which is working. So Tzantzak Vayakal is emphasizing the individual components and Pekude, the final co- cohesive collective product. That would indicate that the names of the parishes and the themes of the parishes are opposites. What Parashas Vayakal says in context of the Mishkan is all the detail as details, independent details. Each detail independent of the other details. Which does not sound like Vayakal. Vayakal is pulling everything together into a new Holistic reality. On a parashas pekudei is that sirvachibu for the alaprotim. Whereas parashas pekudei, that's where you find everything coalescing into a single entity. Where all the different disparate elements now coalesce into a single entity called the mishkan, which is like a kohol. Which is the opposite of the message of pekudei, which is to count. Get which means you count each thing independently. So what's going on over here? 
So, we're going to try a really simple low-hanging answer. And that is, When we say Vayakel in the simplest translation, we're not talking about the gathering of the pieces of the Mishkan or the components of the Mishkan, but rather it's the gathering of the people in order to make the Mishkan. That's probably how we all understood the Pasuk. And therefore we could explain the connection between Bayakel, which represents Hashem De'akola Funidin, that all the Jews come together to collaborate on building the Mishkan, that fits with all the details, even though they're very specific details of this part of the Mishkan, that part of the Mishkan, because the whole point is the people work collaborative to, collaboratively together as a single group. So we'll say that the fact that the Jewish people coalesced into a single community was a prerequisite in order to make the Mishkan. In order that the Mishkan should be something that services and belongs to the entire Jewish community, as the Pasuk indicates in Truma. That the purpose of making the Mishkan is that the should dwell together with all of the Jews as a united entity. So therefore, in order to make that happen, the contributions and donations of every single individual Jew is had to happen in a way that it wasn't my personal money going into the budget. In other words, money that comes from a whole broad group of millions of individuals. Truth is, it wasn't even going to be good enough to say that there are a whole lot of people who are now partners in a shared enterprise. A million, or in this case, a few million individuals who had all become partners in the construction of the Mishkan. But rather, in order for the Mishkan to happen, you needed a Vayakel. The people had to become a community. Therefore, the funds had to be communal funds. And then you could have a Mishkan that belongs to the people and they Mishra could dwell with the people. And is the Agdomel, the preparation for the Mishkan had to be to You had to bring all the Jews together and turn them in, into a community. And that's what Vayakel means. That would be a great answer, right? Well, it would only help for Vayakel. We still would not understand how Pekudei is a suitable name for the parasha of everything coming together as a community. How could you call the parasha Pekudei, which means counting, if actually the parasha is not the counting, it's the total. And the truth is, even to say that Vayakil is given that name because it means the people came together so that you had a communal effort to build a Mishkan, it's actually not a good enough explanation for why that parish is called Vayakil. Because as we know, the Torah is absolutely precise to the nth degree. Therefore, we have to conclude that the name of anything under all circumstances is supposed to encapsulate what the energy and theme and essence of that particular thing is all about. That has to apply if it applies to everything else. It certainly has to apply to a parasha. In our context, we can't argue that Vayakil is called Vayakil just because it speaks about the preparation to what the parasha is going to speak about. Rather, Vayakil has to represent the entire theme of the entire parasha, which includes all the elements of the Mishkan, and we don't yet know how Vayakil could represent all these individual elements of the Mishkan, so we're going to have to delve deeper. In order to do that, we're going to borrow something that the Rambam says, which initially to us might sound a little bit complex, but we'll unpack it. 
Wenn wir das verstehen, bei Hakten, was man gerne Mitzvah von Binyan, Beis Hamikdash, sagt der Rambam, so we'll understand it by first examining how the Rambam defines what the Mitzvah is to build the Beis Hamikdash in Sefer HaMitzvah, not in Mishnah Torah, but in Sefer HaMitzvah, he says as follows. Shetzivonu livnois Beis HaBechira. That the Ebesha commanded us to make a chosen house for him. La Voido. So it's a place that should be designated for service of Hashem, which means that's when you're going to bring carbonus and that's where you have a fire that's always burning for Hashem. And that's what the Pasuk means when it says, make for me a sanctuary. So far, so good. But then the Rambam adds something which seems to compl- complicate what he's saying. This overarching concept of the Beis HaMikdash has many individual components to it. All the other elements of the Mishkan, of the Beis HaMikdash, they are all part of the Beis HaMikdash. And all of that together, that's what we call Mikdash. Whoa, hang on a second. So is the Beis HaMikdash the structure? Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like the Rambam is saying the Beis Hamikdash is the structure plus all of the individual components that belong inside the structure, including movable items like the Menorah, Shulchan, and Mizbeach. Vahakol Yikorim Mikdash. All of that is called Mikdash. Ukfar Yichadatzim Bechol Chelik Vechelik. And in addition to that, the Ebrister gave specific instructions for every part of the Mishkan. Sounds like there's a lot going on over here, and we need to understand Davim Fashtein. If the Rambam wants us to know that the Kalim, the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash, are considered part of the greater reality called Beis Hamikdash, they are components of a greater reality. Which means they all form part of how you fulfill the positive mitzvah to make a Mikdash Vashem. That's fine, we get that. Why then does the Rambam continue and add that each of these things has its independent instruction? Didn't you just say that all of those things together fulfill the overarching instruction of Asin and Mikdash? Why are you now complicating things by saying the Menorah has its instruction, the Shulchan has its instruction? That actually seems to be saying the opposite of what the Rambam wanted to convey. It actually sounds like now the Rambam is telling us that every piece of the Beis HaMikdash is independent. So one second. First you said, the entire thing with all of its components. That's one big overarching reality called Mikdash addressed in the instruction of Austin and Mikdash. And now you're saying differently. Each one of them is actually independent. So which one is it? And really, what practical difference will we extract from the Rambam adding this extra information? In order to understand this, we have to look at three possible ways in which this could all work. When I say this, before we get to the details of the Beis HaMikdash and its components, let's look, generally speaking, how different elements coming together, the three different possibilities of what that means. When we're looking at the vessels or elements of the base of the Mishkan with regards to the Mishkan itself, there are various ways that we could learn how they interact. And this will fit into a general question about how detailed elements belong to a broader reality. Okay, so let's say we have a klal, we have a general principle or a general concept, general entity, and then we have the details of it. Three possible ways that that works. Ah, the first possible way. 
Yedah from the Pratim is Nikin Metzias Bifnei Atzma. It is possible that you have individual elements that have no value of their own. Zayin Gansa Metzias is Norbos Turkdei Sachtus Kulam Yochad Vert Ein Metzias Teklal. Their only value is when you put them all together and then they become part of the broader greatness. So let's say you have bricks. Bricks don't necessarily have a value, but once it's a house, then the, the, then the bricks have created value. Put it differently. In other words, the fact that these individual things exist is only a preparation that there should be something more meaningful. Words are not necessarily valuable. Words put into sentences, paragraphs, stories, those are valuable. We'll see an example in Halacha. So there's a whole debate on uh, Shabbos and other times where a person only does half of what the Torah would consider somebody liable for. So they, they do less than their amount. So instead of eating a kazais, you eat half a kazais of a forbidden food. Or you, you only do half of the Melacha of Shabbos as an example. So according to Torah, if a person only does part of the transgression, it's actually no transgression at all. The Torah would allow it. In other words, half a shir, half a kazais of non-kosher has zero transgression value. But now take two half kazaisim and put them together. Something new happens. And now there's a new status, which is forbidden status. In other words, it is possible for something that in and of itself doesn't have any value, but put it together with something else and suddenly it has a value. That's option one. The prat has no value. As part of the klal, the klal has a value. Option two, base. But there's another way we could say, actually every detail is of value in its own world to a certain extent. But when you put a whole lot of individuals together into a group, in addition to their own value, they now create a greater value, which is greater than the sum of the parts. As long as they were individuals, they didn't have this new value. Very easy example. The concept of a minion. We know that every single Jew is holy. As a prat, as an individual, you have holiness. But when ten holy Jews assemble, they now generate a new and higher holiness, which is greater than each Jew multiplied by ten. And that's why now we can say certain things we couldn't normally say without this group of ten people. We can't learn from the Torah. We can't say Kaddish. We can't say Kaddish. Put the people together. Ah, now there's the platform to achieve these great spiritual things. Okay, so the first possibility is the Prat has no value, but it creates a value called the Klal. The second possibility is the Prat has value, but the value grows exponentially when the Prat becomes part of the Klal. The third possibility is that each Prat, each individual thing has value, but not really proper dignified value. But when you put together the individuals and create this broader, greater reality, not only do these individuals now create something new, oh, there's a minion, previously there wasn't a minion, now there is, but actually they add value to themselves as well. They get elevated to a whole different status. And we might want to say that that's how it works in the Mishkan of the Beis So if I had a look at the various components of the Mishkan of the Beis individually, before the Beis or the Mishkan is complete and therefore is not yet a fully holy place, 
is Nitomitzis Kedushas Mishkan Ba'olam. So there's no Kedusha of the Mishkan in the world yet, because it's not finished. Over Mela is Nitokin Chaloyis Kedusha from Chotzer Vecholos. So therefore, there's no holiness in the Chotzer or in the Kedusha Kedoshim for that matter. But when you put all the pieces of the puzzle together and now you have a complete Mishkan, not only is there now a finished product called a Mishkan, but that section of land that was designated as the Chatzar now becomes elevated. It is holy. Different places get different degrees of holiness. Meaning to say there's not only an umbrella holiness of this place as the holy Mishkan, but each segment gets each, each personal holiness. The fascinating thing is you can even now take the Mishkan apart so you don't have this big umbrella holiness of the Mishkan because you've packed it up and you're going and yet those components remain holy. In other words, the holiness has become their reality, not just that they have the holiness when they play the role of the Klal. Or when the whole Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, the place is still holy. You could say that it's maybe only rabbinic, but that's not the point. The point is that there are three possibilities of how Kedusha works or how the Prat and the Klal works. The Prat has no value, but it creates a Klal which has value. The Prat has a value, but it creates a new, greater value called the Klal. Or the Prat has a value and it now upgrades its own value as being part of the Klal. We're going to take these three possibilities and plug them into the various elements of the Mishkan. So Aleph, one possibility. We could say that each individual component of the Mishkan has zero value and zero holiness to start with. But when you finish making all of the components of the Mishkan, or when you have now put up the Mishkan and you start to actually work in the Mishkan, and you bring in all the components, now the holiness begins. There's no value. It's like an unfinished Sefer Torah. There's no value, but once you have all the pieces together, there's this overarching value called a Mishkan, which operates using these components. But we could argue that there's no individual value to any one component of the Mishkan. To be exactly the same as the different parts of a building. The boards that were used as the walls and the skins that were used as the roof. They could simply be considered only pieces that make a mishkan. So if you have a house, you don't say each brick is valuable. You say the house is valuable. So perhaps in the same way, you don't say the krashim and the yurios are valuable. You say the mishkan is valuable. You can even extend it to the kelim that a menorah has no value if it's not in a mishkan. Just to put this into different words, in order to have a mishkan, the definition of a mishkan is a building, a structure that includes boards for walls and skins for roofs, and inside it, it has to have a shulchan menorah, etc. But those kalim don't actually have an individual worth and value. Much in the same way as the sockets, the walls, the poles, they don't have value. They are just to form a structure of a mishkan. And when the Torah tells us that you're not supposed to watch when they're like packing up the mishkan because it's considered disrespectful, 
That's, that's like independent of the fact that it's not like because those kailim have value. So you're busy unpacking the, the Kedosh HaKedoshim. Therefore, the, technically, the Oran actually has no holiness at this point. There's an independent mitzvah. Don't go there and watch it happening because it's considered disrespectful. Okay, so the first possibility is there's no part, individual part of the Mishkan that has a value. It is only the collective, the Mishkan, which includes so many pieces, that is valuable. Possibility one. Possibility two, base. No, no, that, that's a bit too difficult for us to get our heads around. Let's say that every part of the Mishkan is valuable and holy even before we start. The menorah is a valuable thing the minute the menorah is made. The menorah is made. And the Shulchan has value and to the Mishbachas have value. But once you take that menorah, which is already a valuable piece, and you put it inside the mishkan, something changes. It's now part of something greater than itself. It helps to complete the mishkan. And therefore, like the Jew who makes the minion, the menorah makes the mishkan and everything it, it, it achieves a higher purpose. Or you could say third possibility. We could say the menorah, the shulchan, the mizbochos don't actually have an inherent value even once they have been made for the purpose of the mishkan. But once there is a mishkan and you bring these vessels inside the mishkan, that's going to elevate each one of those components, not just as a piece of the puzzle called mishkan, but they'll actually get value of their own. The menorah has a unique Kedusha that only the menorah has. Shulchan v'cholay. Likewise, the Shulchan, etc. Noisav. So the Kedusha klolis al satel from Kedusha zamishkan b'chalal. That's not just holiness because you live inside a holy environment and you're a piece of the puzzle of holiness, but you, the menorah, have independent personal value. Okay, so which one are we going to go with? Well, let's first see the practical difference. One possible difference in halakhic examination of the, of the Mishkan, depending which angle we go with, would be as follows. We know very well when you build the Mishkan or later the Beis HaMikdash, it has to be built for the intention of You have to make fashion all the different components of the Beis HaMikdash, of the Mishkan, including all of the Kalim, for the purpose of this holy place. So the question is, what exactly does your intention have to be to qualify as Lishma? If we go with the first view, which is none of those things have any value until there is a Mishkan, and then the Mishkan has value. Which means the only greatness of a Kleha Mishkan is the fact that it belongs to the Mishkan. Well, then your intention has to be when you're making the menorah, the shulchan, etc. You have to be saying, my intention is to make a mishkan. Because that's the purpose of these things, is to make a mishkan. If we go with the second view, which is everything is actually of value. And when you put them together, you're going to get a greater result. Which means that each individual keli already has value, like the Jew is already valuable before he gets to the minion. So each keli has value even before it enters the mishkan. Then, well, then when you're making the menorah, if you're making the menorah lishma, it means you're making the menorah for the purpose of having a menorah, etc. 
And if you go with the third view, which is you don't really have value until you're part of the Mishkan and then you have value that you could never have experienced before. Because when you make the various components and bring them into the Mishkan, not only have you now created a broad reality called the Mishkan, but you've also injected holiness into each individual component. Then Then actually when you make each individual component, you have to have a dual intention. Obviously, you have to say, I'm making the menorah in order that there should be a mishkan, because the menorah doesn't have its own chashivas to start with. But the menorah will then be transformed into something of incredible holiness and greatness. So therefore, when I make the menorah, I also have to have in mind, in addition to the general intention to make a mishkan, the specific intention to make a menorah that will go into that mishkan. And we can deduce from that. That's why the Rambam, after he tells us the broad statement that all of the different components belong to the Mishkan and they're all called under the banner of the word Mikdash, then he adds that David also gave a unique construction for each part of the Mishkan. Why does he do that? Because he wants to teach us. That yes, it's true that the mitzvah to build a mikdash includes in it many, many details like the various kalim. That Abish's instruction, make for me a mikdash, means make for me a structure that will have all these individual components inside it, is ober. But once that Mishkan has been made, then each element of the Mishkan now actually has its own specific intention and therefore its own specific instruction. And therefore each component now is elevated and graduates to have its own unique type of holiness. And therefore, the practical thing we said before, you've actually got to be aware of this and you actually have to have that intention. And therefore, the Rambam says each one has its own tzivoy. When you make the menorah, don't just think about the Mishkan, although you have to, but think also about the specific Kedi because it's going to shine once there is a Mishkan. That's why Vayakel is chosen as the name for the parish of Mishkan. As the name of a parasha that speaks about so many details, separate details. Because Vayakil is a remezofen oifen asiyas hakelem. Actually, it turns out that the word Vayakil alludes to how you make those kelem. This is the parasha that describes them making the kelem. Vayakil contextualizes how they made the kelem. In other words, we need to be conscious of the fact that how the Mishkan and all of its individual components was made was with the intention of Vayakil. Doses, meaning. Even though in Parashas Vayakil it keeps saying the word Vayas and they made X and then independently Vayas they made Y they made a Shulchan they made a Menorah etc. So that might sound like everything is quite separated. 
is the kavona basis called kriochrin it given nor alsasio upiula protis. The Vayakel reminds us that when they made each component, the intention wasn't simply, oh, now the Kavon is to make a menorah, now the Kavon is to make a Shulchan. There was an overarching intention. I'm making a menorah to make a mishkan. The mishkan is Vayakel. It's going to pull all of these pieces together into a single entity. Because until you have the whole Mishkan with all its pieces, not one of the pieces has its own value yet. The greatness of each individual part is only realized when that individual part services the entire Mishkan. In Parashat by contrast, where the Torah tells us that now they had completed all of the work needed in order to make the Mishkan. And now the Mishkan's complete. It's been put together and all the different elements are exactly where they need to be. Aha! Now you could see the value of each individual. Remember, we're going with a third possibility, which is that becoming part of the Klal, step one, gives the Prad value, that's step two. So Parashas Vayakal tells us the intention. Each component has to be part of the cloud. It has to be directed to becoming part of the Mishkan. And then once you have succeeded in doing that and the Mishkan is complete, now the Pekudai, each individual, has its own Hashivas in and of itself. Now you can identify the value and the existence of each individual component. Not that the components are just lost in the bigger picture of a great Mishkan. They have value for being part of the Mishkan. Because as we've explained extensively, once you complete the Klal, all of the Protim are elevated into a whole new value. The Menorah is worth mentioning. The Oren is worth mentioning. The Kior is worth mentioning. Everything in Torah is eternal and carries an eternal lesson. How much more so if that's true of any part of Torah for sure. The Mishkan is considering that the whole purpose of the Mishkan is that the Ebesha should dwell within us. His move on as the Indian Anal from Vayakel Mishkan. So this concept of Vayakel being part of the collective, the higher purpose, and then Pekudai because of that each thing being elevated into its own valuable role, is relevant to each of us and how we bring Godliness into our lives. We know very well that we say the entire Jewish community is exactly that a community. Uh, take all the Jewish people put us together we become a single organism if one Jew isn't as whole as they should be the entire structure is lacking yet on the other hand we say that we're not just cogs in a wheel each Jew as an individual is a full universe to the extent that the Gemara Sanhedrin tells us that every one of us is required to say the entire existence was created for me. When we say the whole world, we don't mean planet Earth. We mean the entire spectrum of existence from the highest spiritual realm, including every other Jew, is Bishvili Nivra. Right? It's for me. 
Und das ist jeder in einem zu sagen. And it's not just a nice feel-good suggestion from a self-help book. It's a requirement in Judaism that we're supposed to think and say this. That means, even a person who's on the lowest rung of spirituality, the so-called woodchopper or water carrier, whether, whether the person is the greatest or the smallest, you have to say that about yourself. I am everything. So there's this paradoxical reality. We all contribute to an overarching organism called the Jewish people and each one of us is so valuable the Jewish people were created for us. Und wenn dem kommt er auf und die Schemes Asedus, Vayakal und Pekudai, to understand that paradoxical balance, that's where we get the value of these two parishes, Vayakal Pekudai. Because, Aid kennt doch trachten, a person could very well think, as the Cholorosh is, Emma, Tzis, Bifnatz. My first and foremost is me, I exist, I count, and that's important. Or as they say, uh, put on your own oxygen mask first, or always pay yourself first, or the various, you know, self-help lines that people use. We're not talking about a person who says, I am an egotistic being. I'll say it. I'm a Jewish being, a holy being, and therefore a being that has to be considered. I'm the king's servant, which makes me royalty. Because I'm here to serve the Ebeshter. And therefore, if I'm here to serve the Ebeshter, each person will think, I am my unique role to play. Okay, and then in addition to that, I also belong to the broader Jewish people. So first and foremost, I have to work out who I am, what I'm here for, and what I contribute to the world. And then I've also got to be conscious of the fact that there's more than just me, there's a whole cloud of Israel. So we tell the person, When we were going to fashion the various individual components of the Mishkan, each of which had a critical role that no other part of the Mishkan could play. And therefore, each one had to be fashioned completely independent from every other one. And that's why each time the Torah says, again, to show you clearly, this is a menorah. It has a particular set of qualities. It has a particular purpose that cannot be confused with the purpose of a shulchan. So, it's made in its own space. In spite of that absolute value of individuality, the Torah, which is Torah of Truth, says that it's got to belong to the Vayakil. Yes, the Mishkan, the, the, the menorah is so unique, but it's part of a Mishkan. The, the Aaron is so unique, but it's part of a Mishkan. A Jew has to know the same thing as the Ascholo, that the outset, the, 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 the defining reality has to be on a Kudasatechem von alles lecholo roish. The core principle of everything, which is the first principle of, every, of everything, is I have to be part of the community. I have to be connected to all the other Jews in the world. To the extent that actually what gives me value is the fact that I belong to the community. Therefore, for that reason, it's for that reason that even before a Jew goes to ask Hashem for his own personal needs, and asking for personal needs is a positive mitzvah in Torah, the, the mitzvah to Daven, first, before I can ask for what I need, I need to be connected to every other Jew. As we say at the beginning of the Siddur, first a person has to undertake the positive mitzvah to love every Jew like, like themselves. 
And furthermore, we say never separate from the community. That's why even when you get to the point where you start asking for what you need, you never say it in the singular. We don't do that. Just ask for ourselves. All of our prayers are in plural. Please give us wisdom. Give us all the opportunity for tshuva. And that's the truth of all of the brochas, all the personal requests that we have in our davening are not personal requests, they're collective requests. So before I begin, I have to know I belong to the Kral. That's what it is to be Jewish. There is no Jewish island. On the other hand, when a person does things on behalf of the community, he might think, okay, listen, right now I'm doing something for the community. It's not going to add in any way to my own spiritual development. My spiritual development will rely on the things that I do in my learning, my davening, my mitzvahs, etc. But, you know, there's no choice. I belong to the community. I have to contribute to the community. So I'll take a personal knock in terms of my spirituality and my own development so that the community can benefit. So therefore we tell him that's not how it works. As other Rabbi to the contrary. When the Mishkan is actually built, meaning when everybody comes together, that's when the Pekudai happens. That's when you had to keep Farzik in Zain Havon is Zain Havot's emotion. That's when everything comes to Moshe. And then there's the unique instruction of what Abisha tells Moshe to do with that individual vessel. And then the fact that Moshe does it. And each one is recognized individually and valued individually. In other words, when a person is contributing to the broader Jewish community, the person is valued more and benefits more as an individual. Why is that? Why we have to have this interaction with the rest of the community in order to get value? That when a person's doing their personal individual thing, it has to be with this consciousness and this attitude of Vayakil. You've got to belong to and include yourself in the community. And on the same, on the other hand, simultaneously, so there's this paradox. The human, the individual, has to contribute to the community. And the community will uplift the individual. Why is that? Because the truth in essence of a Jewish person is the part that I play as an element of the community and the part that I play as an individual using my talents and unique contribution is Einzach. It's actually one thing. That's why is typically a joint parsha because it's a joint Jewish status. If I'm looking at things from a superficial outward appearance in the Darga Fun Giloim in the language of Hasidus, the parts of what can be revealed then generally you'll say the broad picture, the big picture, and the individual are at loggerheads. And if they're not at loggerheads, then they're at least two completely different focuses. 
On the Rebbe B'Shasim is Madgish Demalis Haklal. And so therefore, in normal thinking, if I talk about the value of community, I'm automatically undermining the value of the individual. And likewise, the more I value the individual and, and the needs of the individual, the more I'll be limiting the value of the community. That's if you look at things superficially. But when you look at the essence, the inner reality, the truth of a Jewish person, which is that every Jew is suitable, we're all the children of a single father, Hashem, and the reason for this is because that's how it is in Hashem's essence is the Ribi the fact that there's so much diversity in the world does not contradict Hashem's so-called simple essence why not not only is the diversity and complexity of the world not a contradiction to the simplicity of Hashem's essence, no, the fact that there's so much, that indicates pshitas. Okay, how does, how does that work? Well, perhaps an easy way to understand this is when something is very simple, it can diversify. White light can be shone through a prism and become seven different types of, of light. Seven different frequencies of light. Why? Because of its pshittas. But if you took red light and you put it through a prism, it wouldn't become a rainbow. So it's dafka when you're dealing with the essence of something which is uncomplicated. It's because it's uncomplicated that it can produce the broadest kind of diversity. And the same thing is reflected in the Jewish experience. Why? Because we're in the Ebesh are all one. The fact that the, the diverse Jewish community, and let's be honest, two Jews, three opinions, you don't get a more diverse community, that we could become a single nation. It's not by neutralizing the individual value of each person. No, but to the contrary. Because what unites Jews together is not a common slogan, a common purpose, a common language, or even a common religion. What unites us is the essence of a soul that belongs to all of us equally. And that singular shared soul that we all have is part of Hashem's essence. Therefore, we don't have to give up our individuality to be united. The, uni the, the unity between us expresses itself in our diversity. Because the essence of something is the essence of every part of that something. Your DNA is not more in your brain than it is in your toenail. Because it's your DNA, it's your essence. So the essence of Jewish unity is not more in the great scholar than it is in the simple person. It's equally across the board. So in the same way as we have this paradoxical reality of Ayakal Pekude in each of us as people, you're going to find the same principle in our Sefer Torah. And, and this is in the practical uh, development, like how you actually write a Sefer Torah. Because on the one hand, a Sefer Torah verts nufgestelt von hunderte tausende basundere oisies. In order to write a Sefer Torah, you have to have a few hundred thousand independent letters. Und die alle Proteoisies schaffen a Torah as vayakel. But take all of those independent letters together, as soon as the last letter is completed, it becomes a singular entity called a Torah. Not 300,000 entities, a singular entity called a Torah. On the other hand, ole idach, 
So when you have that single Torah with all its power and its holiness, in order for that Torah to be 100% kosher, every single letter has to be completely free of uh, touching any other letter. It has to be surrounded by clear parchment all the way around it. So that it keeps its own identity. Same as the Jew, right? The Jew has to belong to the community first and foremost and then recognize his value as an individual. Now, considering that we know the Jews, the Torah and Hashem are all one entity, so the same principle that we're learning in concept with regards to the Jewish nation applies in practice in the Torah. The Torah is a singular entity and each letter has to remain separate. That's the lesson, and that's the empowerment of this double parasha. It's a parasha that empowers us to speed up and to be more enthusiastic about creating Jewish unity. Which includes a unique form of unity, which is relevant, or at least was relevant at the time the Rebbe said the Sicha in the early Mems. That every single Jewish person, practically for unity, should own a letter in the unity sifratoria that were written at the time and that still exists today. That are written with the purpose of bringing the whole Jewish community together. Which not only will make us all part of a a communal effort but will make each of us part of something which is valuable to us as individuals it reveals the personal unique connection that each Jew has with Torah and each person now has their place in that Torah because they have that letter in the Torah that belongs to them and simultaneously, of course, that brings this unity of the entire Jewish nation. And it brings the truest form of unity because Torah is the truest form of unity and also the most eternal form of unity. That will definitely hasten the coming of Moshiach. When Moshiach comes, it will also be a personal Geula, not just that the nation is liberated. But rather that the Ebesh is going to take each person literally by the hand, as Rashi says. Um, like the Pasuk tells us, that you will be gathered literally one by one Jewish people. And when each individual is taken out of Golos, that will naturally create a communal Geula, Kohol, Godol, Yoshuvo, Heina, as the Pasuk says, a massive community will return back to its soul to Yoshalayim, Bimeherav, Yomeinu, Mamash, it should happen immediately.